The Title Block, episode number eight, Alan Stitchbury, part two. Welcome back to The Title Block, a podcast about Canadian theatre designers, their history, and their craft. I'm your host, Michael Cruz, and today I finish my interview with designer Alan Stitchbury from Victoria, British Columbia. The audio is a bit better on this one, but still a bit low quality. (laughs) Again, this problem has been fixed for future episodes. You can find the show notes at thetitleblock.com forward slash episodes. But now here is my chat with Alan as we picked up this conversation talking about his approach to building a relationship with a director and his start as an educator. Okay, so you uh, you start um, instructing at Victoria. Now, was this a tenure-track position to begin with? That was, the, was that the idea? or you, I mean, you didn't become a tenure professor until much later, right? Um, it, it took a few years, but um, it was a tenure-track position that I, I signed up for, yeah. Now, did, when, did you inherit somebody else's... Um, idea of what the program should be when they were teaching design or would you did you have an ability or the 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 uh, opportunity to create your own kind of uh, program for teaching design oh i was very much able to create my own program i i inherited course numbers and and vague course description but only just like a calendar description so how to go about that was entirely up to me and did you have an idea of where you wanted to go from the beginning or was it something you had to sort of figure out? Oh, I certainly had to figure it out and it it was definitely a bit of trial and error. It was a combination of trying to, uh, you know, part of what I was doing, I think in the beginning years was taking what I learned at U of A and putting it into UVic and finding out what of that worked and what didn't work. And what was important to you? Like, what was what? What did you feel were the key things you wanted the students in the program to go away with? I think the thing that I wanted them to go away with is the same as I really want them to go away with today. And the statement that I I made earlier, and that is that ultimately, when we work on a show, we have to turn it into. Uh, we and our and us and and take away the I. Terrific. And how do you how do you as a designer try to embody that when you work? Like, is that uh, a number of people? I mean, the, the the relationship that you make on the show is kind of the key determinant of that yeah. of that kind of factor. But how do you foster that when you work? Uh, with the director it, it's always going to be a little different because each director is is a different person um, while I remain the same person so it, it's various attempts to try to get it to become we whether it's as I talked about with wings saying to the director this is all I've got if you don't like it um, you know I'm, I'm happy to withdraw and you can go somewhere else um, in hopes that they will go for it and they will embrace it, or it's sharing ideas and working together, uh, sitting down in the studio for a long weekend or a week and putting the set together with the, with the director um, and anything in between. A, a lot of it is, is trying to figure out some way that you can communicate with with that that director. The director is your closest partner. It's it's like a, a an instant life partner, and you've got to figure out some way that at least for the next few months that you can live together and and share and 
cooperate, collaborate uh, without it being forced. And you, you, you've developed this relationship with Dennis Garnum. I mean, yeah. we spoke about that before the break. And how, how did you develop that? I mean, he was, he was, tell me again about how you met and how you guys started working together, um, up until, and then we can talk about maybe the, the wars sure. a little bit. We met in, in Winnipeg, as I said. He was a, a young undergraduate student out of UVic. Um, I was designing the lighting for a production of Mornings at Seven. Uh, Stephen Shipper was directing, Dennis was assisting, and uh, when I got to Victoria, of course, Dennis was a student in my design class. He was a directing student, but uh, as a directing student, he was obliged to take a design class, and so there he was. Um, and I, since since that time, I mean, Dennis and I formed a bit of a, a working bond, and it was when he got his first big break to do a, a large show doing uh, Three Tall Women at uh, MTC. And Dennis called me up and said, I really need you to design this show. And he came out to Victoria and we worked for together for, I don't know, maybe a week or so trying to work it out, and, and it was a real, true, shared collaboration. I brought what I brought, he brought what he brought, and in the end, I don't think that either one of us could say who did what. Mm-hmm. It, it truly was a, a collaborative production, and that was 10 years after starting it at Uvic. Uh, now, this is like a couple. We've spoken about this or about this, about this point a couple times about this idea of a collaboration or about a shared idea as in one project. How do you feel about um, auteurs like <laughs> like people who have a singular vision and want the people around them to sort of fulfill that vision? I mean, this has produced some pretty extraordinary uh, works uh, in Canada, mm-hmm. um, and yet I everybody who I mean, unless you sort of drink the Kool-Aid, as it were, um, it can set up some real conflicts yeah. <laughs> within the team. Um, I mean, I think that's. I mean, I, I think it's a probably an obvious statement to say it has value. But um, do you think that that can work as well, or uh, is it not something you're not interested in being a part of? It's, it's certainly not who I am. I tr- I really do love the, the the working with somebody and getting taking their ideas and my ideas, and maybe I hear something from them and it's not necessarily the way they thought it would come out, but I I hear it through my own ears and it comes out in another way and then we can talk about it. So it's, uh, it's a matter of hearing things and then me through drawings and models and, and in whatever way I can say, okay, this is what I think I heard from you through my voice, and I think that this is what it can do. This is what I think design, set design particularly, or lighting design, or uh, whichever design element can contribute to to what it is that you want to, to say. But set design, each design element has its own values and strengths, and it, it can't do the whole story. It's a combination of things that are put together to, to tell the story. Right, and you you design. I mean, you're you design sets and lighting and costumes as well. Is that yeah, right? Not, not yeah, so you're a total production designer. You've done projections before. Yep. Yeah. Um, how do you feel? Like do you, I know that you've you've got several, uh, several credits. Sometimes combined, sometimes separate. Uh, in your resume, do you do you enjoy? Is there one you enjoy more? Do you enjoy being a production designer and sort of having creative control? Uh, in collaboration with the director of all the elements, uh, or is it maybe it's not an and or thing? But but which one do you like better? Do you like do you like doing the entire thing, uh, or do you gain uh, satisfaction, uh, greater satisfaction from being one element in the bigger picture? I think I most enjoy being doing one element in the bigger picture and uh, sharing it with other people. I've worked a lot with uh, Kevin Lamott. 
And what Kevin brings to the the lighting of a show is extraordinary. And, uh, you know, we can talk about it and I can provide photographs and, and artwork and I, and he stimulates me with his great knowledge of art and, and we can, we can go back and forth saying, I think I, I think it should look like this painting by so and so. Um, and he, he, he brings that expertise. And as, as we've moved through the, the decades, the, the need to be an expert in something has also increased as we go to these bigger, bigger, bigger shows. Um, the, the, the technical and the design knowledge of a specific area becomes increasingly important. So I find now that I am most happy when I'm one of a group of designers working on a show. And how did you guys collaborate? Tell me, so let's talk about The Wars. This is the Timothy Finley book that was um, mm-hmm. uh, made into a stage play. And it had a very, it was a very, very heavy design show from what I understand. I didn't see it, but uh, I know you worked with Kevin and Dennis both on this project. Tell me how you came to be on the project and, uh, and, how, and your approach as a group to sort of tackle this really kind of impressionistic uh, or expressionistic, I guess, um, novel. Well, I guess I was one of those designers right at that particular time that we were doing the the wars that who was pretty comfortable looking at these massive stories and what do we how do we go about telling this massive story? Dennis and I had already established a, a good working relationship and so he turned to me and asked me if if I would uh do the design for the show. Um we met and we talked and he came out to Victoria again, much like uh, the previous time. And we, we worked together for the better part of a week in the studio and we came up with a design for the show, which I knew was way over budget. Probably. <laughs> I mean, I stopped making guesses. I knew that we were at least 200% over, um, but you know, Dennis was determined. He was a new artistic director um, at Theatre Calgary. Uh, it, he was the he was authoring this piece. It was very important to him, and he wanted to go ahead with the design that that we worked out, even though it was grotesquely over budget in in my mind. I couldn't convince him that it was uh, grossly over budget, and I didn't really work hard at that. I, I thought. Okay, Dennis, it's over budget, but I'm not going to go on about that with you because that's not the relationship that we're in right now. So he, we went back to, I sent it into Theatre Calgary and the, uh, the TV at the time, Aaron Newbert, started costing the show. And by the time he reached 200% over budget and was maybe two thirds of the way through the show, he just stopped estimating. Uh, so there was scheduled at that point in time that all, because it was a new piece, we were going to do a bit of a workshop. Um, so we all came to Calgary, the sound designer, lighting designer, projection designer, costume designer. Um, most of the actors, uh, all showed up in Calgary to, to do this, this workshop. And it was at that workshop that it was, made clear that the show had to be redesigned because there was just no way in the world that we could possibly afford what, what we were designing. And it was uh, the sound designer, interestingly enough, who really started the ball rolling. Um, his name is Scott Killian uh, out of New York or New Jersey. And describing this scene and showing it in this model that was ridiculously expensive and he said, oh, I can do that. I can do that. We can just do that with this. And then Kevin chimes in, oh, and, and I can add some light here and we could do that. And by the end of those meetings, which were a couple of, couple or three, four hours long, there was the basis of a new design for the show that was more exciting than the set trying to tell the whole story because we now had a, a real important role for projections coupled with a role for lighting and sound and costume. Everybody had their piece of the story to tell and was doing 
what they could do best. Uh, sets are clunky to change at the best of times, but uh, lighting can change in a heartbeat. Sound can stir up uh, an emotion in us that takes a set a million dollars to to produce, and and with ten notes, the sound can can make that happen for us. Um, that's a real. It, the wars was a real example of a a team coming together and sticking with it and working together, totally separately, but working together. All, everybody trying to tell the same story, using what they do best to to make that story happen. That's incredible. And that really speaks to your point about having a distributed uh, collaboration and how, how that could be much more productive than being an auteur or being, you know, the, a production designer responsible for all these different elements. Yeah. And, it, you know, and it goes beyond just the designers, too. It, it's the contribution of uh, production staff. You know, I, I can't say enough about Aaron Newbert, who uh, was the TD at uh, Theatre Calgary uh, at that time, is now production manager slash TD. Uh, you know, his contribution to the show, his co- commitment to to making it happen, to the scenic artists, to everybody that just dug in and just said, yeah, we're going to do this. This this is an amazing story to tell, and everybody is doing their thing and so we will too right well that's terrific and and tell me about the piece itself so the um i know this is a this is a sound <laughs> based medium that we're speaking yeah. about um and we can't really you know talk about the pictures too much without doing them a disservice but um what was the the, the interesting thing i find about theater and i think that this is, that sets it apart from film and television and youtube and the other uh, kind of more popular or populist media is its ability to take risks and tell a story in a very non-traditional, maybe non-linear, certainly expressionistic way that is not, you know, just representational. Um, I get the feeling this is where the wars, where you guys went, yeah. especially with all these different elements. Um, do, do you think it was a success? And could you describe sort of um, the general approach um, uh, to the visuals? Sure, I give it a shot. I, I think it was a success. Um, I don't think that it's going to see a lot of uh, a lot of companies doing the piece. It's too large. It's too big uh, for most people to handle. It's a, it's a little bit of a, a scary piece. But uh, you know, it, it, it was. We, we created a set that was a series of frames of rusted metal. So it, we saw it all within this framework of layers of, of rusted metal. I, inside of that, there was a, at the beginning of the play, as we're in Canada, there was just a kind of scrap of carpet on the floor, kind of sort of representing earth and grass and things like that. And as, as we moved out of Canada, that went away and we just went to, uh, a big black void of carpet. And there was lots of opportunity for lighting and sound and projection. There were uh, screens which would come in, cut scrims, pieces of uh, beautiful scrim that poor scenic artists had to chop up, and rear projection screens that I would go up on stage and I would draw on them with chalk, and then somebody would take a pair of scissors to these brand-new RP screens. Um, there, there was a scene where they go down into a bomb crater and then the gas attack happens. Uh, so the, a wall flies up and the men are at the back about eight feet up in the air. They put down ladders and they come down the ladders into the, into the crater and, uh, the projection designer has has created a little bit of a hint of those classic images from the first world war that that we we see on those battlefields and kevin's got uh lights going off that there's there's bits of strobe bombs and things exploding the men all get down in 
And then Aaron Newbert and his genius has got this behemoth of a fog machine, a dry CO2 machine that starts pumping out volumes of, of dry ice like CO2 that cascades over this wall and down into this, into, onto the main part of the stage, filling the stage about six and a half to seven feet deep in dry ice like fog. Uh, and, you know, there's all the sound and the, the, the whistling and the screaming um, of bombs and things going off. And through all of this, we can still hear the, the men down in the pit. And then uh, a snow machine starts starts up and the fog starts dissipating as as snow starts to fall on the stage. And it's just that sort of soap bubble kind of snow that comes down, the fog goes away, the men are there, and uh, we instantly, almost instantly, then go to an imagined scene where we're back in Canada in the barn. And so to create the barn, all that happened was ladders flew in, and on each of these wooden ladders were dozens and dozens of flickering candles, all fake candles, of course, but these flickering candles come in and the projection image starts to change. Uh, We move into this beautiful light that Kevin creates and the soft sounds uh, from Scott of the uh, back in Canada in the winter in the barn. And we just go someplace else. And it all just happens seamlessly and massive scene changes that Dennis choreographed where, you know, instead of having to uh, stop to set up the bunker or the thing, it's, it's all about the actors actually bringing that piece on with them or a scene in a ship, which is the hold of the ship where all it is, is Kevin, creates one square of light on stage, and the rest of it is in uh, absolute pitch black with beautiful sound. Um, it's not that the set didn't have major elements. You know, there, there was a, uh, a horse being loaded onto a ship, which was a flown and tracked gigantic horse box that came across the stage, but... Inside that box was a speaker, and inside that box were a bunch of park hands, and so that that box became activated. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it, it was all part and parcel of, of everyone, no one ever stopping, even though I think at times we thought the tech would never end on on the show. That I think Kevin started to lose his mind at some point. Would we ever actually get this scene right. But, you know, it it did. It, it really did get right. And there were some astounding things. It, combined with some beautiful performances, you know, people like Meg Rowe, just, you know, just killing you. you know, she's in this wheelchair uh, coming out of the, the gas attack, but into the barn. And, and it was, it was absolutely beautiful and heart-wrenching and Dennis loves a bit of good beauty and a, and a bit of tears. Yeah. Well, that's, that's terrific. Those should be a part of everything. I think we have to create beautiful things for people to, 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 to really get them, carry them away. Um, I wanted to do, um, I want to switch tack just a little bit and just go back to this idea of designer training Mm -hmm. uh, and, and ask a question about, um, the difference between training an undergrad Somebody you know who's just come into maybe has no experience mm-hmm. in the theater, and versus training somebody in graduate work, you, you as a graduate you have mentored or um, the, you you've supervised a number of of graduates at um, UVic. How does how do you approach? What's the difference between the between your approach of of, of uh, supervising somebody doing graduate work uh, and somebody who's doing their original training in theater? Uh, supervising graduate work, it's as much as anything, it's trying to keep your fingers out of the pie and really giving them the, the rein to explore what 
they need to explore, to give them encouragement and to give them opportunities to try to make sure that you put them on the right kind of project, but don't interfere too much uh, in what they do. Most of the time today with graduate students um, coming into university design programs, what they really need is what we got the opportunity to do back in the 70s, which was to design at a reasonable scale. Uh, undergraduates typically when they get out of school are lucky if they can do some fringe kind of shows or one-off group of people get together and produce something on extremely limited budgets. So what I think a graduate student needs out of a graduate program is the opportunity uh, to stretch and push themselves to actually build some kind of a, a portfolio to uh, to, to see how far they can go. Undergraduate, uh, they need pure raw training in drawing, uh, in reading a script, in making models, in uh, communication. How do you communicate with a director? How do you understand the psychology? How do you get inside a director's head and let them inside yours? Um, and the most important thing that the undergraduates need is all those good, hard, core bits of information about where to find things, how to find things, um, how to get excited about drawing, how to get excited about model making. You don't have to know everything, but you have to know some things so that you can stretch yourself to the next thing. Uh, you can't give them creativity. You can't teach them creativity, but you can get them excited about art and art history and what those things mean about going to the art gallery and seeing some amazing new contemporary art piece and saying, damn, there's something in that. I'm going to be able to use that someday. Don't know when. Maybe I'll just push it into my next project randomly and I'll be told it's wrong but at least I'm I, I'm seeing those things and speaking of uh, sort of giving people opportunities to grow you have um, in the past little while expanded or or uh, made forays into Thailand yes tell me how you ended up doing theater uh, in Thailand I was it was uh, the dean of the University of Victoria has always been extraordinarily good to me which is why I managed to stay there uh, stay here since uh, 1988. Um, they, they've always encouraged me to go off and do work in as a theater designer. In but 2004, 2005, the, the dean, who's also a theater designer, um, Kyle Hoja, said, "You know, I really want you to go to Bangkok. I want you to go and on this exchange program with Chula Longkorn University." Uh, they desperately need a lighting designer. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, made it, he made it very seductive. He made it so that I couldn't say no. And I, so I went. I, was, I went there to design a show to teach set design and lighting design. Not all the courses in the department, but some courses. And I had the opportunity to work, I was given the opportunity to work with a director there um, named Kruhui, Pornrat Damrong, but better known as Kruhui. And she created a play called Sita Siram, or uh, in, in brackets it was also subtitled Un- Unframe the Women. And there were at least four different versions of this play because she was writing it and as we went and going to direct it 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 was it's vaguely a, a who are modern women in relationship to sida who and sida is the the the, the leading female character in uh, the ramayana uh, which the ties called uh, ramakin um, the, the giant book the giant story and so I 
made a desperate attempt to read the Ramayana or the Ramakin and, and failed miserably. Uh, but I found a children's book uh, that was used in elementary school to try to explain it. And so that became my knowledge of the of Sita. But so there were these four versions of the script and each one seemed it was had been roughly translated into English and they all seemed completely different to me. So I sat down with Kruui and she said to me, well, I like your house. And I said, what? Mm-hmm. I said, well, I like your house. Could you do something like you've done with your house? I said, you want my house on stage? She said, no, I just like your design sense. Mm-hmm. And so I figured out that the only way to have this communication was I got a number of uh, design books out from the Prague Quadrennial every year, uh, every uh, Prague Quadrennial, the uh, the British had put out a, a book of their designs, these beautiful books. And so I passed them all to Kruui and asked her to just flip through the books and pick out images that she liked. Mm-hmm. Not based on Sita Siram, but just things that she enjoyed. And if possible, give me a word as to why she liked it. And so she did. She went through the books, came back about a week later and uh, they were all filled with post-it notes of his, this image. I like this texture. I like texture. Texture is exciting. Um, and another one might be color. Another one might be height or size or maybe that there was a puppet in one. Anyway, by the end of that, I don't think I knew anything more than I did to begin with. <laughs> but I, I had some sense of things that, that she liked and... I was in Bangkok first time. I'm I'm looking around at everything. I can't stop myself being excited by buildings, by sounds, by smells, by sewer grates, by anything and everything that I saw. So I said to Kruve, okay, so now should we meet and try to figure out which script you're going to do and um, what the scenes are? And she said, no. I said, well, what do you want? She said, I want you to design something. Just show me something. So I did. I made a model. And the model that I did was based loosely on those things that seemed to excite her, textures or whatever. But it was fundamentally what I saw of Bangkok. So there was a big circle. There were some rocks. There was some sand. There was bamboo. There were some grates in the floor that could all move. And she took one look at it and she said, okay, now I know how to do the play. (laughs) And I would go to rehearsals. I still, I didn't understand any Thai. It was all in Thai. Um, And bit by bit, I started to understand what she was doing. And it was another product of someone using what was there uh, and she used it as part of the creation of the of the work, just as she used the improv that she'd done with actors previously, the the scenic design and the lighting design uh, later became part of the creation of Sita Siram, the play. Right. It seems to be a bit, um, it's a different approach to certainly the traditional kind of English theater, oh. get a script, have so have a set of requirements. It, it was, and, and I, I didn't really realize at the time, but uh, uh, Kruui comes from an applied theater background where um, the, the making of a, of a play the, uh, is not, is normal. It's part of what they do. They, they get together and they will, they will create a piece of theater based on an idea, on a theme. And she very much uh, believes that that design should have as much a contribution. The, the aesthetic should be as much of a contribution to uh, that, that creation of a piece of theater as the writing and the acting and, and everybody else. And that we can all make a contribution. It's her job as director to say yes or no and to stimulate and 
um, guided, but it's it's a it's a it's a whole group project. So that was my introduction to to Thailand, and then after that show, which was was an enormous amount of work and crazy because I never knew what was going on. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm drafting for the first time in, in metric, which by the way is incredibly simple, uh, and much better than the imperial system. Uh, it, it takes about 20 minutes to adjust to the metric system, but, you know, the carpenter doesn't speak Thai, so everything that I do, it has to be communicated through drawings and pictures and things. But as I'm going through, Krui starts to feel that I'm going to get bored teaching just my two classes now that I've done the show. So she gets me uh, to come down and do some, uh, I guess I guess you'd say, uh, consulting on a a production of a mask dance, a Thai traditional mask dance downtown at the Royal Theater. And so that, that was exciting. And she took me to other companies and other, I was doing workshops and then she took me to other universities where I taught some other classes. And eventually I, by 2006, I started going back and forth between Thailand and Canada. I was back working at UVic, but uh, every month or two, I would run back to Thailand to work on a show. I, I I got to design a production of Hanuman, Hanuman the Mighty. Hanuman is the the trickster in the the Ramakin and the Thai traditional mass dance. It's the most popular piece. Anyway, there was this new piece being created to honor the king on his uh, birthday, and so we created this piece. Uh, and I. First time trying to design Thai traditional mass dance. All I'd had was this one brief introduction where I was supposedly consulting on a piece, but they gave me a brilliant young assistant and I designed my brains out on Thai mass dance and my assistant made it more Thai. And that show was enormously successful. It ended up running for two and a half years in, in Bangkok at the the Royal Theater, and as it turns out, I'm told, I, I, I have no reason not to believe it, that I'm I'm the only white guy to ever actually design traditional mass dance at the Royal Theater. This is kind of fun. Yeah. Uh, but, I, you know, I started doing more and more shows, back and forth and back and forth, and then uh, it seemed to all just kind of dry up, that, that connection. The connection with uh, Tula Longcorn wasn't that that solid anymore, but a couple of our uh, students of mine uh, from Bangkok, uh, from Chula Longkorn, came to Canada to do their master's degrees uh, at UVic. Uh, as happens often with uh, other countries, it's those connections that you make either through things like the Prague Quadrennial or uh, visiting professors or your travels that bring you to some other place in, in the world and they begin to open your eyes to new possibilities and new things that you, that you never had considered before. Anyway, these, these kids, uh, kids, they're, they're full adults now, uh, got excited by what might happen if they came to Canada. So I talked to John Avery at the Banff Center and we actually set up a, a program where, whereby they did a year at the Banff Center, training, getting their English up a little bit better, and learning about the technology and the technical equipment that we have available here in Canada, and is relative was at that point relatively rare in Thailand. Certainly not rare now. But um, and then they came to Uvic and did their master's degrees, and one of those people uh, is. Uh, Paul, uh, Bobby Limkun, and she landed a job teaching design at Bangkok University. And she asked me, she, she phoned me up and said, what would you think about doing an exchange program between UVic and Bangkok University? A anyway, to make a long story short, I, I, I visited, I checked it out, and it seemed like a really 
great connection. I had some great meetings with people at Bangkok University, and we set up a, a full-on exchange program for uh, Canadian students to go to study and work at Bangkok University and for Thais to come to UVic and do the same kind of thing here. And the first the first two students just came back a couple of days ago from from Bangkok, and they didn't want to leave. They had a fantastic time. That's incredible. That's incredible. And what, and what a great opportunity to sort of give Canadian design students as well to sort of see outside ourselves. I'm wondering yeah. if you could speak. I know that uh, your work on the Procurgenial Quadrennial, uh, you were the Commissioner General at one yep. point uh, for Canada. Um, what in those kind of being exposed to those those kind of international efforts, what do you think that Canada can learn from the international theatrical community, and what do you think uh, we can teach them, if anything? Don't try to teach. You you will if you don't try, but if you try, you will annoy everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, that would be the first thing I would say. But uh, the, be open-minded and open your eyes, open your mind. Um, let those other influences in. Don't try to prejudge them. Don't don't try to judge them in any way as they're coming at you. Just try desperately to be present, to to let it wash over you. To uh, leave yourself open to the possibility that a crew will just say, "Well, just design me something from what you from this." And then let me work with it. And uh, to going to a prog quadrennial and whether you're a student or a senior designer, uh, see something that ex- that excites you. Not even don't even necessarily know why it excites you. Ask somebody else why does it excite me. But what is it about this thing that's making me look at it? Why is it interesting to me? You don't have to have all the answers. But you have to be open and ask the questions both of other people and of of yourself. Um, there is nothing else in the world like the quadrennial for young designers or senior designers to go to to open your mind. Uh, you know, the world stage design is mostly electronic, and you know, it's it's just not the same. The quadrennial has the cachet. It's the, it's the place where uh, everybody goes and they, they hang out, whether you're young or old. You, you go and you sit in the bar or you eat dinner with somebody from another country. Listen to their stories. Um, they'll ask you some stories. Don't You tell them your stories, they'll tell you theirs. I think that we have lots to offer. Um, but we have to also understand that we're in a very different place than most of these countries. These Most of the countries exhibiting have large populations in a small area. We have a relatively small population spread over a massive area. Um, they, they can have influences that happen super fast, and everybody knows everybody else. In Canada, we do know everybody else, but the influence across the country takes a long time. Today, we can get those influences more quickly by, and more cheaply, unfortunately, by getting in an airplane and going to to Germany than we can to go to Halifax. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, people look at what we do in Canada and and they're excited, they're, they're impressed, and their imaginations are stirred by it. And we just need to respect that. Uh, that our work is good. We do good stuff, and you see it in an exhibition like the Quadrennial. And you know, I'm, up till now, our exhibitions haven't been the most exciting, but there's been great work in it, and people recognize the work. Um, the Europeans uh, being closer by can create mad, crazy exhibitions where the where it's as much about how the it's exhibited as what's exhibited. 
But, you know, this coming year we have a new young uh, Commissioner General, Patrick DeVores, who was a student at UVic, uh, then did his master's at U of A. He's taking over. He's got an exciting idea as to how the exhibition is going to be um, curated, how it's going to be displayed. Um, and I'm proud to be on on the jury with uh, Astrid Jansen and Teresa Perzbelska and myself to, to select the work. And uh, I think that Canada could could have a great exhibition this time. Oh, that's terrific. I want to just before just before we wrap up, I want to talk about um, your involvement in the Associated Designers of Canada. You were uh, a member of the executive uh, and a president during the nineties. Yep. Um, and now you told me before that you were sort of a reluctant member mm-hmm. earlier. Um, what do you think is the place for uh, an organization that is sort of half? Association have kind of it's a I mean, it's a labor organization. It's a, it has a has a contract that everyone sort of agrees upon and negotiates with with PAC, the Professional Association of Canadian Theatre. How do you how did you come to the realization that the ADC is an organization that not only you want to be a member of, but that is an important important enough that you want to to, to lead it for a period of time? Uh, well, I I was reluctant because everything was so easy for me in. Edmonton at the time, um, you know, I didn't, I didn't feel like I needed to contribute any money to some other, some organization that was going to try to make it better for designers. My life was actually pretty darn good. Uh, but by the time I arrived and started going to Toronto, I, I discovered that there were a, a lot of us and we needed to work together, uh, to some extent to try to make it better for each of us uh, and to set some standards to to create uh, at least a Canadian s- standard so that if you said you were a designer, it meant something. And so I, I got more and more active with the association and began to realize that it was also important to reach out to younger designers and it was while I was president that we or vice president I can't remember which that we created the the apprentice member category to try to get information to a younger group of designers and to again to to keep up the idea that being a designer meant something and that you were part of a group. And and that group, while not agreeing on much of anything, uh, agreed that would agree on some things like designers should get paid some money and designers should produce good quality work. And it, as an association, we've never got into the notion of the aesthetic of the work, but just the quality of the communication. Uh, over the years, uh, ADC started originally to actually be a union. Uh, it was uh, through CBC that it started, and uh, QP then eventually took over that, and ADC virtually died. A- ADC restarted as an association. Lots of members don't want to be a union. They don't want that kind of enforced rules. They They like this kind of loose association um it's it's a difficult balance to achieve uh to be both kind of a labor union some days and in on some issues and a kind of artist support group on other days and how is what's your sort of thought on this idea of a Closed shop versus open shop. I mean, it's not, uh, we're not the only, we're not a union, or I should say the ABC is not a union. I used to be a member. I'm no longer a member. Um, but, um, like equity, equity is more or less a yeah. closed shop. There, they, there's, there's special dispensation yeah. that's very minor, but, um, you know, you have to be an equity member to really work in, in any kind of major yeah. Canadian theater. And would you like to see that the same, the same way for designers? 
uh, or uh, I think it is possible. I think it at this point in time is possible only in the in the big houses, the the A's, the A pluses, uh, the, the, the 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 Shaw Festival, Stratford Festivals, the uh, the Citadel Theaters, the the, the MTCs, the, the big A houses, and bigger. Um, there, a clothes shop, I think, is possible. Uh, those companies could afford a small fee if they were to hire somebody who was not an ADC member. I wouldn't want to see the doors closed to non-members. I would want to see... But I I do think it's, it's possible for those larger companies to make that small fee payment to help ADC, because I think ADC does a lot for the theatre in this country. I think it does make it a better place, and I do, for everybody, audience, actors, production staff, everybody, and I think that the only way to keep supporting ADC is to get some money in its coffers to take it to the next step, and maybe a clothes shop in those big houses is is a way to get that money in. But not I I, I can't see how it can be enforced or that it could be productive in the small houses. I'll see you at last. And that wraps up my interview with Alan Stitchbury, speaking to me via a Skype call from Victoria, British Columbia. Next time, we feature the first two episodes of a panel discussion from this year's Canadian Institute for Theatre Technology Conference in Ottawa, Ontario. Focusing on projection and the future for design, it's not one to miss. The music for this podcast is Podsafe Music from the band 1990s called See You at the Lights. You can find them at roughtraderecords.com forward slash the 1990s. Please go to iTunes and give us a review. It'll help get the word out about this podcast and share the history of theater design in Canada. And you can follow us on Twitter at the title block CA and on Facebook.com forward slash the title block podcast. You can send comments and requests by email to the title block at gmail.com. Feel free to share this with your friends, colleagues, students, and teachers, or listen to it while you wade through the wall of smoke to find the switch for the fogger that someone left on in the studio over lunch. I'm Michael Cruz, and I'll see you next time on The Title Block.